good to see God's people this morning. Isn't it awesome to be here together as God's people worshiping Christ, the risen Savior? Uh, I love being together as God's people. As we begin this morning, I just want to share, um, there's a, a, a British businessman who was selling a, um, a warehouse, a property in London. His name is Lindsay Clegg. And uh, the building had been empty for months, and vandals had badly damaged the doors, smashed in the windows, they had strewn, thrown garbage all over the interior. And he was showing the property to a prospective buyer, and Clegg explained to the buyer um, that he would replace the windows, he would do the necessary repairs to the building and clean up the interior, hire some people to clean up. And the buyer said this, forget about the repairs. When I buy this place, I'm going to build something completely different. I don't want the building. I want the site. Now, church, this morning, as we get into this, uh, when we come to Christ, we're much like the site. And there's an old warehouse still built there. And the truth is, is that God doesn't want our version of the repairs needed. I mean, if it was up to us, we would come to Jesus and we would tell Jesus the things we are going to correct in our life and make better. And Jesus doesn't want you just necessarily to try to make things better. Because his standard of better is a lot different than ours, isn't it? If we came to Christ and said, okay, Christ, I will repair my life to what I think, it would be a low standard of what Christ expects. In fact, you would repair things that you think God would want you to repair, and there's whole other areas that need to be repaired or actually torn down. And truly, Jesus wants the site. He wants to take us, um, not just this old building and build a new building, he wants to tear that down and build something new altogether. And as he is, he is building us into his likeness. So this is what we do. We give him the site and the permission to build in our life. Uh, we call on God that he might save us, that he might change us. And now that God is doing a new construction, uh, a new work in our life, we want to learn to live out this new life in Christ. And here it is. It's not just, I believe in Christ, and I do some church stuff. I do some churchianity. That's kind of what our culture has been the last few years. Now it's becoming paganity. But Christ wants to remake us and make us new. That we are made into His image. We're already made in the image of God. It has been marred by sin. Jesus came that we might make us to be more like Him. Not to be a better version of ourselves, but to be made in the image of Christ. So this morning, as we get into the Word, this is something we've been sharing. So Paul talks about this new life, but each month... Uh, we repeat something together. It is from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17. So repeat after me. All scripture, All scripture is, breathed is breathed out by God and is useful, and is useful to, teach to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. In our lives. It, corrects it corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Amen. Do you guys know this is, this is important for us? And I was preparing for the message in the back, and I wanted to share a little more. If you're a Bible student, turn to 2 Timothy with us. If you have your iPhone, maybe you can skip over there. Chapter 3. I want to share this before we get into the words of what Paul has to tell us. 
Paul is writing Timothy about the eschaton, the end times, eschatology, how bad things are going to get. But then he takes time to show that there is an importance of God's word. In the church, this is just a personal vision, and the church should be this way. We should have a high view of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not merely some moral teacher that goes with all the other moral teachers in the world, not just some religious leader. He is the Savior. He is not merely a moral, good moral teacher. I have a high view of church, that this is the body of Christ. This is not something we just go and do. We will say we're going to church, but the truth is that we are the ecclesia, we are the church, we are the body of Christ. We gather together. It is the nature of who we are as Christians. And the third thing we have a high view of is the scriptures. Either the scripture has authority being written or God breathed or it doesn't. And as a person, either you will stand above the scripture or below it. And as Christians, we want to stand below the authority of the scriptures that we might learn from it. Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes to Timothy, and my eyes have gotten old. <laughs> I don't know if it's all the studying, looking at screens, and I don't have my spectacles, whatever we want to call them, so I've got to bring the book up a little close. Um, so you can look along with me. Paul tells Tiff, uh, I almost said Tiffany. Maybe there was a Tiffany. Um, there's a Timothy here. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, as blind leading the blind, but as for you, continue in what you have learned, and have firmly believed. You learn this. You firmly believed it, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Word of God has the power to save. And then he goes on to explain all Scripture, not just portions you pick out, not just things that a, a liberal academic might say is true or not true. This is not just some antiquated writing from history. Paul tells Timothy, by revelation of Jesus Christ, I mean, Jesus appeared to Paul. All scripture is breathed out by God. And this is why your translation matters. Some translations will say inspired by when we think inspired, we feel like, ah, oh, they kind of inspire me. I feel good today. That's not the Greek word. The word is actually, when we translate it, breathed out by God. The very word for Holy Spirit is pneuma. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. It's teaching God's people for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That we might be the people God has called us to be. That the man of God may be complete that we are to be a complete, complete in what we're to grow up into as disciples, equipped for every good work. Now, that wasn't in my notes. I just felt like I wanted to share that this morning because there's, there's a crossroads for people who are going to follow God. And either you're going to believe and trust the scriptures or not. Billy Graham had the same thing happen in his life. All Christians will come to that crossroads. Is this the Savior of the world, just Jesus? Is he the living Savior? Is this his words to us? And that we're to believe him. Now we're going to get into Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And Mary has already read the bulk of the passage here. 
And Paul writes to the church in Colossae, put on as God's chosen ones, holy, hagias in the Greek, that you are a holy people. You're either saints, or as one theologian said, you're ain'ts. <laughs> a reminder um, that we are holy and beloved by God. Compassionate hearts is who we are. Put these things on. Kindness, um, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Our forgiveness is based on the standard of Jesus Christ. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy, your love and your grace. Lord, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you that when we gather together, as you said, if there's two or three gathered, you are in the midst. As we gather as your people, you are here with us. You dwell in us. Um, you dwell in the places where we praise you. In fact, there is no um, God-forsaken area, for you are omnipresent. And Lord, we, we thank you for being here with us, and we ask that your spirit lead us today. As you've breathed out your words that they correct us, that they teach us, that we might be the disciples you've called us to be. And Lord, that we put off the old, that we put off the old man that is under Adam, and we put on the new man that is in Christ, that we are being made renewed, or, or made new and renewed in the likeness of you. Pray that you bless these words today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, what we have here in this text uh, is a powerful passage, uh, the powerful words of God from a powerful book and from one of the apostles. It is, is meaningful. Uh, I was reading this this week, and I was talking, the reason I wanted to go through the importance of the Scripture, that all Scriptures breathed out by God, they're important for us, is that um, you grow in your walk with Christ, and you develop, and you learn skills, and you're trained in righteousness, and you become a disciple, you know, you're following the Lord. But no matter where you are in your walk, there's more God has to tell you. And I was just reading through these scriptures this morning, and man, God's word was just grabbing my heart. I mean, it's where you say, you know, it's eating you up. There's something about it. And, uh, you know, there's things in my life that the Lord is working on me with. Patterns and behaviors and attitudes, the things I think. Um, you know, and so we hear this today in these words. And so today we're going to learn as God's chosen people, holy, to live out this new life in Christ. Because I think a lot of Christians are still living like they're dead. And Jesus Christ is risen. He is alive. Uh, he dwells within us. We, he is in us. We are in him. So we need to discuss first, as we talk about this new life in Christ, I want to talk about the starting point, uh, is that we have passed from death to life. John chapter 5 and verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, there was a minister who had gone to a prison years ago, and he was sharing this verse with some of the inmates. And they said, man, that is some good words. 
And one of the inmates said, but we need to know who said it. Who said them words? And you get to tell people, Jesus said this. That if you believe in him who sent me, you will have life. That means this Jesus, who is God, not just some good moral teacher, is making a promise here in the passage. And we're going to see some things here. So uh, very powerful words coming from the Son of God. A solid gospel message, much like John 3.16. But first, he says, whoever hears my word. We have to hear the teachings of Jesus. Uh, I've heard people say that, you know, I'm not being fed at my church. And that is the worst thing a pastor ever wants to hear. You know, you're preaching your heart. I'm not getting fed, you know. And so I've seen people post things about that. And pastors being insecure. You know, somebody left my church, said they're not being fed. And you know what? You better feed your church. The church needs to feed God's people. We need to hear the words of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. And here it is, Jesus saying, you need to listen. This is part of who we are as Christians. We have to hear the word of God. Second, we must believe. Jesus said this. I believe it. I believe in the Father who sent him. Charles Spurgeon said this, to believe is to give up self-reliance and to rely upon the Lord Jesus. I give up myself and depending on my own ways and I give my life to him. So we believe in God. Third, we have eternal life. That is the present tense. It's not like, and I've tried to share this, that Jesus said resurrection is not merely some future thing, even though there will be a resurrection of the dead. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And here he's saying, if you believe, you will have eternal life. It starts right now. That if I believe in Jesus Christ, I am given a promise that I will have, and I have presently eternal life. And he goes on to say, he does not come into judgment. That will be the future. You believe now, you have eternal life, you will not come into judgment. There's no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. But we have passed from death to life. And it says passed, that's the perfect tense. Which means it's actually happened in the past. That God is already doing this work and we step into it, we receive life in the present because what he has done in the past and we are prepared for the future. That we will not go into the judgment of those who will be cast out. So when you trust in Jesus, there is a radical transition that takes place. We've truly crossed, in some translations, not passed from death to life, but crossed from death to life. Like I said, most people are doing life as if they are still dead. But if you have been given life, it begins now, and we need to live that out. We are born again. When you believe the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you are born from above. You are now spiritual. You are alive. You know, Peter talks about how we used to, and Paul, we used to be darkness. Actually, we're not just saved from darkness. We were darkness. And now you are light in the Lord. It's not that you just are to be light. It's that we are light. This is who we are. We are alive. We are a people of love. We are a people of light. And as a new Christian, we begin to recognize the serious difference in darkness and light. Lies and truth, death and life. And we begin to follow Jesus and listen to his teachings on whatever it may be. I am dependent on what Jesus says. 
I want to hear from heaven. Again, Jesus says, whoever listens to me, it's whoever, whoever, but we have to listen. And here's the thing. If God saves you and delivers you from evil, don't keep in touch with it. Quit trying to visit the past. Nostalgia is a deadly thing in church and Christianity because you've created a, a pattern of life. And then Jesus Christ is making you new. You have new life, but you're so used to the old. That's why the whole New Testament is talking about leaving the old ways of life. The Apostle Paul writes this to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, a lot of times we use this in a testimony that I used to be in sin, and now I'm not anymore. The old is gone. The new has come. Uh, there's more to the verse than merely that. This is speaking to the new life that we have in Christ. We are no longer identified with the old world system, the fallen world, everything that happened in the past that went under the flood. Jesus came to restore people to him. We have new life. We're not under the old creation. There is a new creation that we are being saved unto. And those are things to look forward to. So it's more than just, you know, I sinned in the past and now I'm saved. It's that I'm not a part of the old world system. I'm, tar I'm part of the new work that Jesus Christ is doing in the world and that we go into eternity with him in his presence. You have passed from death to life. You're no, mo no more under Adam. You're in Christ. And the New Testament instructs us to put off the old. And so I want you to see that today. There is these dead things that we are to put off. Earlier on in the text in Colossians chapter 3. Now, a few weeks ago we preached on that we are to, to look to the heavenly things. That we are to do life because we are going to heaven. And Paul says here, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. What is earthly in us? Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them in the past. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. In the King James, it will read like this. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. I think mortify carries a, a, a seriousness with it rather than death. Eh, put off the death. Mortify. Put to death the old ways. When Christ died on the cross, the scriptures teach us that we died with him. And when he was buried, the old person of who we were was buried with him. He was buried for us. We are to identify with Jesus and the old is gone. The old man is in the earth. He is buried. He is dead. We are to live in resurrection power and life to put in the place of death what is earthly in you. And we were buried with Christ when we died, which is to say the old man is dead and in the grave. So we treat the old lifestyle as dead. We bury it. There's something I found, and uh, I, my uncle wrote a paper on it years ago, and he was trying to bring in some of the, um, the catechetical teachings of the church, the instructions of the church, catechisms, and, and having it more theologically robust and understanding the spiritual things taking place. And, and we baptize someone, they say they believe in Jesus, and we talk them through that, what that means, and they're becoming a disciple. We're commanded to do that as the New Testament church. 
But not long after the church was formed in the second century, they were teaching people to renounce Satan and his kingdom when they were baptized. It's not just that I believe in Jesus and he gives me life, that I renounce all the old things. I want to share just a little portion. There's different versions of it. You can look it up. But uh, they would teach people to say, they would ask, do you renounce Satan and all his works and all his empty promises? And you would answer, yes, I renounce them all. I renounce my old life. I, I, I want to turn away from, I know these promises that Satan gave me were false. All the promises in Jesus are yes and amen. These, things, these were false promises. All his works that I did, as I was obedient to him in my flesh in the world system, and I say yes to Jesus Christ. I renounce Satan. And here it is. I have a list here. What are we to put off? Sexual immorality. You know, we have people today say that gay thing is bad, but they're living and sleeping with their boyfriends. Sexual immorality here is the Greek word pornaya. Let's learn some Greek. You want to say that with me? Say pornaya. All right, great. It means any form of sexual immorality. It means committing adultery. It means sleeping around, sleeping before your marriage, sleeping with somebody. All these things, not just a homosexuality. Anything outside of this design of God, too. Impurity, uh, which means impure or immoral motives. In any scenario, if you're at work, if you have an immoral motive in the way you do life, three passions, uh, pathos, an affliction of the mind, an emotional passion, that you get wrecked over anything that happens in the world, that you're so easily disturbed by what's going on. Uh, originally, when we were reading the scripture, talked about having the peace of God in our life. We are to have God's peace so what's going on in the world doesn't wreck us so easily. Um, for evil desires. Yes, evil desires. A desire um, or cravings. Craving of things that are forbidden. Now there's a way Satan comes after people. I mean, you're brought up in the church, you've been taught certain things are wrong and evil, but Satan is very manipulative. And he'll make you think your parents kept you from having fun. They kept me from doing these things. And Satan will work this little seed in your, your heart to make you desire the forbidden. It's what Satan did to Adam and Eve. Has God said you can't eat of everything? God must be holding something back. And they begin to desire the forbidden. That we're to put to death those desires that work their way into our hearts. Uh, covetousness, which is idolatry. Uh, which is to desire more than what you have. As Christians, we are to have a contentment that God gives us our daily bread. Anger, temper, and anger of the soul. You're mad all the time. My mom used to say, Derek, you're just mad at the world. And I said, yes, I am. <laughs> um, wrath out of the anger. You know, the Bible tells us to, to be angry but sin not. That you can be angry about things. There's a righteous anger that is good. Uh, James tells us to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. Uh, but there's a wrath that emerges out of anger. The, the meaning is actually anger that boils over. You're so angry that everything just makes you explode and boil over. Malice, desire to injure someone. The very spirit of this age is malice. It desires to injure young people. Wickedness that uh, is not ashamed to break the law. 
They're going to do whatever they want regardless of the laws. And nine, slander, uh, which is to destroy one's character, obscene talk from your mouth, all these things. And, and here it is. Paul reminds us, do not lie to one another. That's one of the ten. We should be an honest people that tell the truth. Put all these things off. He says, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, these are the practices of what we once were. These are the practices of the world. Now, I like where he's dealing with the desires, because you might say, well, I've never murdered anybody before. I've not done any of these things. But we have to get to the root of these things, the desire that wants to do it. And we're to put off even the desires on the inside. And these are the practices, again, of the old self. Um, if you're living with any of these, um, there's some things to consider. Am I really saved? So I really believe if you're a Christian, you cannot get comfortable in sin. There's an old country preacher that would say, you know, you can take a pig out of the mire, out of the, out of the farm. You can dress him up, clean him up. He can go to the fair and win the blue ribbon prize. But when he comes back to the farm, what is he going to do? He's going to go straight back to the mud. That is his nature. That is his desire. But a sheep can get into the mud. But a sheep doesn't want to stay in the mud. It wants to get out. It needs to be cleaned up. And so that's how we are as children of God. But we should not be comfortable in sin. Uh, so one a possibility, why am I still living this way? That you might not be saved. Or you were not taught to live in the new life and put off the old. Heard a testimony last week, very powerful, of a man said, I grew up in church. I believed in Jesus Christ. I was saved. I didn't obey. I was not taught this obedience of putting off the old and putting on the new. Three, you have been tempted and you fell into sin and you need to repent. So if those things are in your life, it should be so either I'm not saved and I'm just comfortable in this. Two, uh, I was not taught to do this. Three, I have fallen into sin. Or four, that you could indeed be a false believer. This is what we're dealing with as well. So we put off the old and we are called to put on the new. What is the new? And here it is. Uh, Colossians 3, chapter, Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen people, holy, beloved, these things. And I want you to know, in inductive Bible study, when you're looking at the scriptures, you would see radical reversals. There's something that began a certain way, a radical reversal. Like Jonah, he was trying to get away from Nineveh. God brought him back. It's a radical reversal. You see these turnings. Jesus was dead in the tomb. He was killed on the cross. He rose again. That's a radical reversal. These lifestyles, is there's a certain way I used to live, and now Christ is calling me to this new way. It's a radical reversal. It's not that I still do the old ways anymore. In fact, we cannot live that way. How can we live that way? But we turn from those things, and we put on the things mentioned here. So what are we to put on? In this, a renewed heart. The first thing Paul tells us as we're putting off the old, we're to put on compassionate hearts. That means I was very selfish in the old. My heart is bent inward. I want whatever I want, my desires, my way to fulfill my flesh. And now Paul is telling us, what are we to put on? Compassion. Now I care about other people, not just myself. Kindness, which means moral goodness, humility, a deep sense of one's moral littleness. It reminds us that I am still in need of God. We have not arrived yet. 
We still need the Lord Jesus Christ. We need meekness. We're to add that to our lives. The meek shall inherit the earth. Five, patience, which means endurance and constancy. To live as a Christian, you need endurance and constancy. Not all this shaky business back and forth that I'm going back into my old ways and I'm trying to pretend in the new ways and back and forth and back and forth. This is the lifestyle. Patience through suffering. Patience through trials. This is who we are as we put this on as Christians. Six, bearing with one another. Forgiving as the Lord has forgiven us. So ultimately, we have love, agape love. Above all, if anything, we should at least put off hate and anger and malice and put on love. Now, what did we learn about God's unconditional love Wednesday? Because people will say, well, isn't your God benevolent? Isn't, doesn't he love me unconditionally? Which means I, what people do is they manipulate the love of God to say, I can continue to live the way I want to live. Every time I have dealt with the discussion of homosexuality and talking to friends that are caught up in that lifestyle, they will say, isn't God a God of love? And you're not supposed to judge. Those two things get brought together. God is benevolent. He is loving. So he loves us unconditionally. But that doesn't mean that he gives us unconditional permission to live in sin. There are conditions that he calls us to live in his life. But we are to be loving, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. These are Christian qualities found in our new life. We should be living this out. This is who we are as Christians. You should be able to look over this list and say, am I being kind to people? Literally, the hardest thing to apply when you're driving down the road and somebody's trying to get over. This will determine who you are right now. Do you let people in? Or do you push on the gas? I had a pastor friend who had a vision for the church, God first, simply that. Bumper stickers, gave it out to everybody in the church. He said, when people try to pass you, hit the gas. God first, tell them. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good message. Um, but simple application of kindness that we are to be loving, adding these things to our faith. And finally, Paul says here in Romans chapter 13 and verse 14, um, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That means we put his life on. We demonstrate his life, that people see Jesus in us. This is the radical reversal of the old life versus the new life. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. I'm going to ask Jay to come to the platform as we prepare to close. If we put on Christ, if you bring his life into yours, you will not want to gratify the desires of the old ways. I want Jesus. I am devoted to him. Now, finally, I'm going to leave you with this, and we're going to spend some time in prayer Paul kind of finalizes this chapter here. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. The peace of God. I pray with Emma every night. And we say, you know, the blessing that God gives. And he gives us peace. That we are to have peace with God. Peace within that passes all understanding. Peace with other people. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you were called in one body. And what? Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Verse 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who we are as Christians. Everything I do. Parent, spouse, coworker, friend, neighbor. 
I do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. There's a lot of thanksgiving there as we prepare for a thanksgiving season. But we put this into our world. And here it is, church. The tragedy of life is not that it ends so soon. We have a culture that's trying to beat death. There's one that's already beat death. His name is Jesus Christ. But it's not that our life ends so soon. We wait too long as Christians to live out new life. And let it start today. Let's spend some time in prayer. If you want to come and pray here where you are, and sing and enter into a time of prayer, and say, Lord, I want to put on the new. Help me to walk in the new life. Lord, give me strength to put off the